Welcome to the Level Up Podcast. I'm Wade Reed. And I'm Aaron Pescucci. And we have a very special guest with us today. Uh, she is a Q grader, certified Q grader, uh, coffee educator, award-winning coffee roaster, excellent mother, um, and very, very dear friend. Everybody welcome Janine Melnick to the show. Welcome, Janine. Thank you very much for having me. I'm super excited. We're super excited to have you here and super excited to have you here for a topic that is, um, I mean, outside and beyond everybody's experience and expertise, but um, it's really, I think, unarguably the biggest topic right now in specialty coffee, the most relevant topic in specialty coffee, and uh, we haven't hit it very much yet. We've sort of we've sort of brushed up against it in previous episodes because it's, it's ever-present, but today we are going to be talking directly about climate change uh, and its impact on the coffee sector, on specialty coffee specifically, um, and its impact on our world. So um, we want to, from the jump here, say none of us is an expert. Uh, we're not research scientists, unless something has changed since last time I saw you guys. Anyone start any research? I mean, I read a, you know, a whole ton of articles. I thought so. you didn't read. <laughs> we covered this. <laughs> well, I mean, if this topic got Aaron reading, everyone, everyone, everyone should uh, check out our show notes, follow all the links, read all the articles we're reading, because that's really all we're doing here. Podcast is turning me into a reader these days. That's, hey, if you can reach one person. Something uh, <laughs> had to do it. Sooner or later. Yeah, but um, we are interacting. We're people with good reading comprehension. We're reasonably intelligent. You know, if you've listened to us before, you know that. Um, and we're going to interact with some topics that are out of our depth a little bit. Um, and we recognize that. So follow the links. Um, you know, read on, read these things on your own. Those are the real experts, the people that we're going to be talking about today. So uh, I want to encourage our audience to not just take our word for it, but... Uh, here comes our word for it. So the first thing we're going to look at today comes from Perfect Daily Grind. It is an article from, I believe, 2020. And it talks very generally, very high level, about some of the actual impacts that climate change has on the coffee plant life cycle. So what's actually happening to the tree? And we could divide these effects into um, two major kind of categories. Um, first, we lose several growing days in their usual harvest cycle, um, because of volatile conditions. And so this can come from a number of things. Early rains can cause early flowering and then um, cherries ripen a little too early or cherries ripen unevenly. You can't harvest everything all at once. And uh, that's kind of one of the first first major um, impacts of climate change on the on the coffee plant life cycle. But also, climate change is encouraging more diseases and pests to thrive in coffee-growing countries. Um, so as temperatures vary, as humidity levels vary, uh, we're just seeing more and more of these um, things like Roya, things like leaf rust, uh, all that kind of thing. Um, also, the coffee borer beetles, they just have a better environment to live in. We've got like soggy, moist plants. Soggy, you know? yeah, <laughs> that's what bugs love. That's exactly what they're looking for. Um, and it's interesting because it's why specialty coffee, you know, grows better up the mountain is because those bugs in, in slightly drier conditions and slightly cooler conditions, those bugs don't thrive. And so you have a lot less problem with, uh, with different pests. So, um, right. And then I'd assume also if the pests are stealing part of your crop, you're going to plant your coffee trees closer together so yep. you can squish some more in there. Right. And like right. Get the crop levels. Cause you got to play the odds. Exactly. 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 So, 
Um, so the bugs are going to travel from tree, like tree to tree way easier. And one of the big problems you'll see about this is these are monocultures. So you've got all the same species of plant and roughly not even other coffee plants. So you're setting up yourself for a, you know, a buffet for these pests. Yeah, it's trees that are closer together. They travel easier. Um, the conditions are worse, are worse for the trees, better for the pests. It's, it's kind of a perfect storm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And it's all coming from small changes in, uh, in the climate conditions in coffee-growing countries. Let's talk about, here's an, an interesting issue. Is there a difference in terms of climate change and in terms of you know, the, the thing we just talked about, those very small uh, consequences for the coffee life cycle? between like a specialty coffee and like a commodity coffee? Or is this another place where the very artificial difference between the two breaks down and we actually have to like make focus on making the whole industry better in order to make our sector better? You're going to definitely need to uh, make the whole industry better there. Even if you're growing some crop in general, it's going to, spur on the uh, development of those specialty sectors there. You can't have the specialty sector unless you've got a base there. And that's what allows these uh, different farmers and different people involved at all levels to take their commodity crops and say, you know what, there's going to be something better there. And one of the small stats that I was reading there was we've got something, I think it's like 100 million people that this some sort of coffee-related business is their income. That's what they're depending on, whether or not it's the importers, the coffee growers themselves, the roasters, Wade. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you're talking like globally the, along the whole coffee supply chain. Yeah. That's what we're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's like a myopia in specialty coffee where it's like we're doing all these good things for this farm and that farm and like those are all good things to do and I never ever want us to stop doing them. But this is the kind of thing where we can't just say like, well, we made this one improvement at this farm, ta-da, because... This is the weather. So it's, I, I think it's one of those places where all the efforts and the things we usually talk about and, and, and the things we, the story we want to tell about specialty coffee, it really kind of, it like breaks down. It doesn't just apply to this one sector and we have to look more broadly at like all coffee that's being grown everywhere. Well, and especially with the reality that essentially all coffee is grown in that small, um, that small geographical region from north to south, that is the most affected, most affected by climate change as well. So it's not we're dealing with extremes where you're getting the most effects in countries that can least afford the effects. Absolutely. On a monoculture of plants. Did you mean that all of these hazards will create enough defects in the green that we'll no longer have specialty coffee, specialty grade coffee? Yeah, and I it'll think be that's mostly commodity. That's one foreseeable future, of course, we'll probably just change the definition, right? This gets a little more into the sensory science of it all, right? Yeah, sure. Or we'll split into the everyday drinking coffee that'll all be potentially commodity in future and the like fine wines of coffee that you have on an anniversary or special day. Uh, Because, I mean, also climate change is opening up new frontiers to grow. I mean, that's how we got Gesha. Right. Right. right, right. So it could just open up uh, uh, a split in coffee. You know, as you were talking about with the Proud Murray episode, 
before where there'll be like the $150 cup yeah, of coffee. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then there'll be the folders. And and we're going to get backed into that corner as say. opposed to it being something we choose and where we want the industry to go necessarily. I don't think anybody wants that future. I think that's like a really exclusive sort of future. And absolutely. I feel like the coffee community is such an inclusive, lovely, welcoming place that we want to offer coffee, to like good, wonderful enjoyable coffee to everybody right right absolutely so i think with that as a goal and this as a potential future it's the sort of thing that we need to focus on on all levels and i think one of the other things like talking about that inclusive community i think more than a lot of industries the people involved want to keep it going they have a vested interest and it's coming out in personalities and things that they're trying to push forward in order to kind of preserve the crops and preserve the industry as a whole. If you're looking for some things, there's a lot of research going on. If you guys haven't picked up this magazine yet, you do, you got to get the standard. I know I'm focusing on it, but it is so deep. Every article is just packed from line to line to line with stuff. Um, one of the big things was, you know, you talk about Gesha looking at hybrids and the research that they're doing to actively create new hybrids that are going to grow in some of these more warmer environments, some of these less elevated environments, maybe we should be focusing more on those. Maybe. And, and why is that? Well, first of all, you know, hybrids are hybrids. And if you talk about things in the macro sense, hybrids are supposed to have the best aspects of both things, you know, Everybody knows the uh, the liger, <laughs> you know. <laughs> is that is that too old a reference? Did I date myself there? I mean, it's a hundred percent too old of a reference, but I say go for it's it. A, it's it's a skilled magic user, right? Was it what was the skilled magic user? What was the? I gotta look it up. Well, he says something about its magic stat. It was a magic animal, but uh, you know, while Wade's looking that up here. Yeah. You know, we've got people who are looking at these hybrids already, and we're looking at Arabica and Robusta mostly is what people know. They've heard of Geisha. Maybe the real nerdy people have heard of other ones. But there are 130 different species of coffee out there. Think about that. And we're focusing on maybe two. Are we talking about species or varieties? Sorry. Uh, varieties varieties sorry. okay yeah yes because the yeah the species are a little more limited than that um as far and and especially the ones that that grow and and yield the kind of coffee that the world needs now right. that, that pretty is much is limited palatable that is caffeinated that will grow and create a crop large enough to sell and make a profit off of there's a reason why we've kind of honed in on these two major players yeah exactly I'm really excited about this hybridization to see if we can add some like drought resistance and rain resistance and like pest resistance to the major players that we know well and love. I think one of the articles that you brought to the table is all about that. Mm -hmm. That's really what they're finding there. Um, just on a small level, looking at one plant there, the standard growing temperature range, they were able to bring it up by eight degrees on either end, which in some areas can be huge. You know, talk about the snobbishness here. You know, we might want to add, you know, a category to competitions and tasting competitions. 
wild coffees? What's something out there that is just completely left wing that, you know, you can make palatable there? Didn't somebody just win the WBC on a, a hybrid or a wild? Yeah, I think I did read that actually somewhere. Yeah, yeah, it's happening. So, I mean, that's what's exciting to me. You know, we can talk about tasting coffee and all of it being, you know, this great product that we do love. I think once you get into it, though, there's a lot more to care about and a lot more to be interested about. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it was the Eugenioides. Oh, yeah. I've, oh, I've that's a, yeah. I've been hearing a lot really about that. Field. Yeah, that thing tastes wild. It tastes wild. That have is you, the have exact you had right it? Word. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's I it's I'm intrigued to try it. It's so, like I looked it up when I saw it on I think it was a YouTube show or something like that, um, and I tried to find. It. I'm like, oh, this is really impossible to it's find. Really hard yeah, to get your hands on. But actually, I think having tasted that. Reading articles like this makes me very excited because if we could get some of those tasting notes in our coffees, we're all going to be having a good time. That's, yeah. That's cool stuff. There's a lot to look forward to, I think. Absolutely. And yeah. I think I think everybody wants to know, what does it taste like? Oh, um, it tastes like a wild thing. Like, have you, um, you ever eaten a wild berry? Sure. Uh, it's funky, right? Yeah, it, a little bit of bitterness, a little bit of off flavors coming off of it. What I'm trying to pinpoint here is um, funky. Like, have you had a wild fermented, like a Saison? Oh. Right? Yes. Yeah. So there's something there that wasn't designed by humans to be shiny and perfect and clean. Um, there, I, It tasted to me a little bit composty, but not in a bad way. Just very intense fruit flavors mixing all at the same intensity um whereas i think as we've um bred coffees for a very long time we've sort of shaped them to be more harmonious this one untouched (laughs) can we get a five ounce jar of this coming up and maybe a i don't know where to look (laughs) 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 no idea i'm not sure i have the budget yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's I, I think we yeah. it would have to be a group effort just mm. to taste it because it, it's it's pretty pricey. I think there was a couple producers that had it on for a little bit. I want to say it was Onyx, if I remember correctly, had it had small versions of it available for very short periods of time, if I remember correctly. Is this our hundred and fifty dollar cup of coffee creeping up again? Uh, the the amount it cost, I, I think you'd be pretty damn close to that. <laughs> Wade, what would you put on the uh, the label for this guy? Wild Eugenioides. Um, I would not put that. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to have any idea what the hell you're talking about. Pronunciation uh, guide? Yeah, exactly. Um, it, the QR great. code just goes to like an audio file <laughs> of <laughs> someone pronouncing it. Uh, yeah, that would be hard. I think that stuff, I think one of the things that's really difficult about this conversation, it came up a little bit in Coffee Bag Reader, uh, from a previous episode, is that how do you communicate variety? Uh, I have very settled opinions about variety, and that has come from just years and years of exposure um, to the topic. And it changed a lot of how I think about coffee. Most consumers, no interest in thinking about coffee. Like that's been my that's been my experience sure. in the industry. Um, you're you're it, maybe. 
generously 20% of your consumers even want to know, uh, you know, and Arabica, you know, as a term has more or less become marketing, you know, it's a hundred percent Arabica. Great. What does that mean? Yeah. It's <laughs> which of the 130 varieties. Yeah. Like, so I feel like people want the minimum about that stuff and that makes it really hard to communicate to consumers. So like, as far as the bag, I'd leave it off. Like it's, you know, I'd, I'd rather put information about producers and things like that on there. Um, I, I love this conversation because it, it gets back to what I think is the general frame of what we said about climate change, which is we got to treat it like it's here now it's happening and we've got to do some other kinds of things in response to it. It's not just that we need to work on deforestation. It's not just that we need to work on carbon sequestration. It's not just that we need better policy. It's that we've now got to work around it. We've now got to work within this new reality. And the the hybrids are, I think, an excellent example of, you know, getting back to something Janine said, just the ingenuity we're going to see and the creativity and how people are going to find ways uh, to open up essentially like new markets as far as places to grow because some of the hybrids can grow in different environments much better. Um, but also as far as uh, new ways of understanding coffee flavor. So I'm super into it. I think this is probably one of the more exciting frontiers of this conversation, which is very not exciting. <laughs> so I'm actually going to talk about a, a seminar put on by World Coffee Research um, and their understanding of the climate crisis. So a lot of uh, the climate change conversation focuses on climate models and consequences coming in 10, 50, 100 years. A uh, common formulation in coffee is that in 50 years, 50% 50 of the land currently available for growing coffee will be unusable. But in a talk titled A New Way to Think About Climate Change, Dr. Walter Bethkin, and sorry if I mispronounced that, I can't pronounce anything, explains that models like this may have served their purpose on a macro level, but when we want to predict environmental outcomes for a specific part of the world, such as anywhere coffee's grown, and we want to predict those outcomes as the effects of climate change are actually presently occurring, we have to leave aside modeling and take a different approach. We have to look at year-to-year -year variability and cataclysmic events. And for this reason, World Coffee Research has taken any reference to the 50% loss in 50 years talking point off its website. It's just they won't talk about it that way anymore. They're saying that's not useful. We have to look year to year what's actually happening in places where special or where coffee is being grown. Um, instead, they focus on uh, the very here and now effects uh, that we can track from recent memory. So this was very revolutionary to me. This was, um, I've always, you know, 10, in 10 years and 50 years, our kids, our kids, kids, it's always been framed to me that way. This is saying like, yeah, that was a, a great way to introduce it maybe like 50 years ago, you know, when the conversation began. But nowadays we have to actually look at, well, you know, last year we were, we were down 10, 20 centimeters in rain. Last, the next year we were up 10, 20 centimeters in rain and kind of that variability and that volatility and what it actually does as a consequence of the climate changing. So how do we approach climate change as a matter of current events? And how do we account for year-to-year -year variability in rainfall and temperature? Um, I mean, this is a huge topic in, in, in the wine industry, especially in our area. So we're in the you know, Rochester Finger Lakes region of upstate New York, and year-to-year -year variability is staggering. You can taste a, you know, the 2020 
2020 vintage that was a drier, brighter year. So you get huge fruits in this, and you taste 2019, and it was a darker, rainier year, and it's lean, and you taste them next to each other. You couldn't imagine they were grown on the same farm. Um, I mean, it's distinctly possible we might start to see those kind of year-to-year effects where you will get vintage effects where we're used to more consistency. You might get more vintage effects. Yeah, absolutely. You just might not have a choice. I mean, I mean, and and even beyond just the flavor of it, um, we're going to experience dips in yield. And so some things that we love one year, even if they're just as good the next year, they might not even be available as widely. We might not even be able to access them. Uh, I think about all the different processing we have going on at all kinds of farms. You know, all these new things, all these anaerobics and all these... Uh, uh, carbonic, uh, whatnot, maceration, maceration, oh, all that good so stuff. So much fun stuff happening right now. It is really interesting stuff. Um, what about your traditional um, natural process, your traditional wash process? What happens to those coffees that normally we sit on a patio when it's a when it's a twenty centimeter swing in rainfall that year and they can't dry? I don't mean to back you up, but I need to know if WCR pulled that from their website because they didn't like how it made people like react often when people are faced with like a very like a doomsday sort of approach to climate change they they say well what does it matter what i do anyway and they do nothing because the big picture is kind of too hard to handle but if we go year by year is that changing how people react to the information in a more useful way is that why they did it why do you think they pulled that information um so dr bethkin lays a really solid scientific foundation for it uh, as, as you know, his reasoning, but you're right. WCR is an organization that is, you know, it's front facing organization. It's a, they do research obviously, but, uh, they have to then market that and they then have to convince people of things. And so, yeah, it could just be that like a doomsday scenario wasn't working for convincing anyone that this was something we could act on or something we could make a difference in. Uh, and if, if that's true, I think it's still a very legitimate reason to change, like how we're approaching Oh, uh, how we're approaching the science and how we're approaching the topic. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, those, it is interesting. If I may, I ran into John Cannon. I told him we were doing this episode and he says, yeah. I think everyone's just sort of given up. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, I think there's just like a general malaise about climate change. I'm like, that is very fair. And, and that kind of gets to what you're saying. I mean, you can get that way. And then you've got to try like one of these macerations and they're so fascinating and interesting what people are doing when they still have creative energy and they haven't given up. There's really interesting things happening. Yeah, absolutely. If you just keep some effort in, I think we can go somewhere. You and know? I, sorry. I'm done. I think you had mentioned specifically some robustas that were being processed in interesting ways. That have you have you personally tasted any of these? Yeah, or? I had oh, one about oh. a month ago. Um, oh man, I don't have the details on me right now. It was a really interesting, like experimental process on a bean that probably wouldn't have scored over eighty. Uh, just normally processed um and it came through right away with that incredible fragrance of like jasmine rice you know it was a grain yeah but it was a floral grain and i had to shift my perspective while i was drinking it from like is this a coffee flavored coffee or is this an interesting beverage that i enjoy and i think we're all going to have to do that um yeah and that's kind of the other thing that we're going to get to in a little bit is with these changing temperatures changing growing regions things like that, coffee might change. I was reading about a coffee that the bean is as big as a pear. 
in some of these regions or small and yellow. Right. And, right. you know, we're, as consumers, we're going to have to alter our expectations as well. Yeah, exactly. But I think that's exciting. Um, I think there's a lot of things that we're going to enjoy. And I think people are going to really enjoy uh, flexing their creative muscles and their scientific experiments and what makes a good coffee out of a bean that we would have maybe not given enough credit to before we didn't have a choice. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the other things, you know, we were talking about this earlier on that sensory science one is, is it only a defect till people decide it's not? It depends on what you mean when you use the word defect, I think. Big time. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And that is something I would love to get into more. But uh, we're going to skip ahead here because now that we have this frame for climate change, uh, thinking about yearly, year to year variability, um, there is a really interesting and and I would even say somewhat insidious effect of this year to year variability uh, where um, certain hazards and crises that that used to happen more spaced apart are now clustering. So in, a, in, in given regions, and I'm just going to talk about an article from uh, the climate journal of the public library of science researchers assess 12 year to year hazards to coffee productivity in the 12 most productive coffee regions of the world. And these hazards, they're not the extreme conditions. We're not talking about hurricanes. We're not talking about floods. We're not talking droughts here. Um, they're very specific conditions that when they exceed certain thresholds, negatively impact coffee production. And essentially, all 12 regions are experiencing all 12 hazards at increasing rates over the past 40 years. The authors specifically highlight eastern Ethiopia and southern Brazil, so like big-time yeah. coffee-producing regions, right, which now experience, on average, four hazards per year. Uh, those, and that's like the most of, of any of the regions. And the authors mark 2010 as something of a watershed. Prior to 2010, only one year had recorded 20 hazard events across all 12 regions. Only one year. That was 1998. Since 2010, we've recorded five years, years of 20 hazard events across all 12 major coffee growing regions, representing an acceleration of the year to year risks posed oh by the God. global coffee, close, posed to the global coffee sector as opposed to isolated regional risks. So things are clustering, going from being small problems for one farmer to being systemic shocks to the global supply of coffee. Sounds and exponential. It is from from 98 to, tw- to 2010, uh, we never hit that 20 hazard threshold, and we've hit it five times since, and that's just been 13 oh, no. years. So uh, it's one thing to talk about those, you know, the big things. Uh, it's... it's, it's uh, those are the kind of risks that like make headlines. You yeah. know, we can go read the article about uh, thousands of homes in the Congo uh, just at the beginning of the, or the end of last year that were washed away by floods. Uh, we can read articles about um, floods in India doing the same thing in, and specifically to coffee growing parts of India. Um, but this study points out that there are just as many small risks and they're actually just thresholds of normal growing conditions going slightly out of whack that create hazardous growing conditions. And as they accelerate and overlap, small changes in yield will regularly amount to huge shortages globally. This is what's coming. Wow. Um, we might be seeing that even in the wine industry. I was up in the Finger Lakes a couple of weeks ago going to one of my favorite wineries and talking to the guy. You know, we're just doing the normal tasting stuff. 
and we had a frost up there. And so just talking to him about that event that happened, we haven't had a frost in that growing season in years. And he lost three quarters of his crops. Sorry, not three quarters, but he lost a third. Got my numbers reversed there, which on a single still farm, a lot. Yeah, still on a, a single lot. farm, single winemaker area, that's huge. I don't know how many bottles that amounts to, but that's got to be a large chunk out of his sustainability for this year. Yeah, and it's it's not just wineries. Like we're we're a large agricultural area, so the apple growers um, have seen you know fifty percent plus losses in some cases. But it's also the case because we're talking about pockets of air and driving, you know, frost pockets down where you'll see one farm affected and a farm down the street have no, uh, no issues whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so you'll see these staggering effects where, you know, places we're talking about 75% losses. Uh, you weren't actually way out of bounds there. Some places did have that because we're getting our blooms early. We're getting that stuff. And, you know, we're seeing part of that. It's a very different effect in the coffee growing world, obviously, but um, we're all seeing those effects. When we're talking about these hazards and coffee loss, are you, do you mean that the bean is non-existent or do you mean that it won't, it won't be specialty grade and we'll have to like dark roast it? Yeah, excellent question because the study looks at both Arabica and Robusta because, and here's something I didn't know, there are completely, not completely, but there are rather different um, conditions, cha- like changing conditions that affect the two different species. So Robusta, being the hardier plant, can survive a much broader range of temperature swings. Right, right, uh, and pests, right? Yeah, and pests and, and all of it. Um, Arabica is a delicate little flower. And so what was really interesting to me was that one of these hazards is the vapor pressure deficit. So in a tropical climate we don't measure relative humidity we measure how much air or how much water can the air hold and then how much is it holding and when the air isn't holding as much water isn't as farther away from its threshold of the amount of water it can hold those dry conditions cause things like coffee plants to be losing uh their losing their moisture through evaporation oh yeah so uh that one factor the vapor pressure deficit um it can be off. It's not even, I mean, it's not even, it's like under 80%, 84%, something, you know, they're, cl- they're tropical. It was a very, like, you would expect it to be a lower number. <laughs> you would expect like these plants to be able to survive a little more of this deficit. They can't, they start to wither. They produce a lot less um, cherries, they produce a lot less beans. So we're actually talking about the supply going down. Wow. And, and was this just air humidity or you know, for lack of better description there, or was this like watering conditions as well? No, this is specifically like the humidity in the air. What would cause evaporation? What would cause um, moisture in plants to evaporate? Like and that's how, just one of the 20 hazards? That's one of the one of the 12 they tracked. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the others are a little more, you know, standard, what we're used to, things like pests, things like temperature variability, things like rainfall. So, uh, but yeah, I was just blown away. Like that's how delicate arabica really is and so uh, you, you know i think this points out where we're at kind of on the racer's edge with with something like arabica uh i i do want to say two things we we hear a lot of reports about coffee that are given in terms of money and this study really made me realize people give reports about coffee in this region 
you know, this region made this much money and this region made this because they don't want to talk about yield variability. They don't want to talk about how people got desperate and maybe funneled a bunch more money into this region because the yield was so low. And then that makes it look like, well, they sold more, they made more money. That's not sustainable. So we're telling that we're intentionally telling the economic story to avoid telling the the unsustainable climate story. Well, it sounds like the year after that year that that region got funneled a bunch of money, maybe they'll have a better year and somewhere else will need that, you know. Absolutely. And that gets to price volatility. Yeah. And you don't want to make your predictions about what's going to be available next year until you see the next year. Exactly. Exactly. And you can't, you know, the the less reliable it is for, for people on our end of the supply chain, like roasters and consumers, um, how do you build that consistent consumer base that's looking for that coffee if you really don't even know if you can get it? So that's one thing that I wanted to draw attention to. Another thing is everyone, I know you're listening to our podcast right now, but you need to go listen to Boss Barista because that is just an excellent podcast. Ashley Rodriguez did an interview with a third-generation coffee farmer, Carla Boza. She's from El Salvador. Uh, on the consequences for her farm of one unseasonal rain in December. One. Uh, and they get into it, and it's pretty technical, and uh, you can listen to it several times. It's very engaging. But we got to really reframe this as a present crisis that's happening in small, pla- in small ways that are eventually going to add up to very big losses. All right. Well, that is our climate change episode. And I want to say thanks for listening. Thanks to producer Chris Lindstrom and the Food About Town studio. Uh, special thanks to our sponsor, Nominate Meals. Um, if you like the show, you can find us on Substack, Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends to listen. Uh, thanks to my co-hosts, Aaron Pescucci and Janine Melnick. You can find us on Instagram at levelup.wny. Please reach out with any questions or requests for future episodes. DM us and someone will read it. Thanks and uh, enjoy your coffee.